0: So let's crack on with this morning. We're in a teaching series where we've been talking about the signs of the kingdom, what it looks like when God's in charge of a person's life, when God takes charge. And when God takes charge of a person's life, it looks like a range of things. It's not a narrow thing. I think in in some areas of ministry and some ministries emphasize one or two aspects of the kingdom. And they say, when the kingdom comes, it looks like, and they just emphasize one thing. Whereas what we've been doing over the past few weeks is saying when the kingdom comes, it looks like a range of different things to a range of different people in a range of different ways. We don't want to be narrow in our understanding of God and his kingdom. We want to be broad and we want to be informed by the whole of Scripture. When the kingdom of God comes, he brings peace to a person. He brings comfort. He brings hope. The kingdom of God is good news to the poor. The kingdom of God is healing to the sick. The kingdom of God is deliverance to those who are oppressed by powers of darkness the kingdom of God is joy. And today we're going to be talking about part two of the kingdom of comfort. The kingdom of God is comfort to those who mourn. And on the 21st of uh, October 2010, I experienced grief like I'd not experienced it before when my dad died of cancer. We'd had years building up to this day because we knew he'd had cancer for a while, but when he died, Uh, The grief was overpowering, as you might imagine. Emotionally, I was undone. I was a wreck. But also in in that day and in the weeks and months after that, I experienced a comfort that I wasn't quite prepared for. A comfort emotionally from God as a result of people's prayers. A comfort practically through the circumstances that God put in front of me. A comfort through the people that God had put around me. I remember sitting down with one person who I barely knew, but as a Christian, he just pointed me to the Christian hope that we have in Christ, that God is a good, loving Father, that the kingdom of heaven broke into my life on that day, and it looked like comfort. And actually, when you experience grief, or when you experience loss, when you need comfort, you find in those moments that comfort's available, mm in a way that it isn't there before the event occurs. Many of us live in a state of anxiety about what might happen one day. And anxiety or or predicting or thinking about future events is always laden with worry because we're not there yet and God's grace isn't there yet. But when you find yourself in a situation where the thing that you feared happening happens, you discover that God's right there with you, that his is a kingdom of comfort. And last week, Polly opened it up for us exceptionally when she looked at Jesus's, um, in John chapter 11, where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from death. Uh, what Jesus did when he attended a funeral, And we saw that Jesus is able to sympathize with us, he's able to empathize with us, but he's able to bring a real and concrete hope. By putting himself in the grave in place of Lazarus, he's then given hope, not just to Lazarus, but to all of us ever since. The kingdom of God, as Jesus showed it, looks like sympathy, empathy, but also hope. Mm. And just a word about the kingdom of God, because when Jesus was preaching, he said, the kingdom of God is here. And everyone in in Jesus' day said, oh, that's lovely. But most of us go, what does that mean? (laughs) That's lovely, but what does that mean? When we talk about kingdoms, we are talking about the sphere of someone's influence or power or authority. Uh, When I'm driving my car and the kids are kicking the back of my chair, I'll swing my hand behind to whack their legs, and they'll tuck their legs up out of my reach, thus removing them from my kingdom. They're no longer in my sphere, my reach. I can't get them. And that's that's what a kingdom is. It's a place of authority. And the kingdom of God is not a geographical kingdom it's not a nation state the people in Jesus day thought it was going to look like a nation state with a physical king on a physical throne handing people physical passports to go and travel the world and rule and reign and exercise his government in those places but Jesus came and brought a different message he said the kingdom of God is here now and people in the time thought well where like we're still oppressed by our enemies We still experience loss. What do you mean the kingdom of God is here now? Jesus pointed out through his words, through his actions, that the kingdom of God is wherever the power and authority of God is experienced. The kingdom of God is wherever a person receives and surrenders to the authority of God. God is a king. He rules in a kingdom. And I like to think of kingdoms in terms of a, a sphere of someone's influence. Um, A hoop, if you like. This could be a bad idea. Um, I'm not going to try to hula hoop. You'll be pleased to know. But as I stand in this hoop, I am within the sphere of this hoop's influence. And if you like, the kingdom of God is a sphere of authority that is around me as an individual. God's kingdom is on me, so I experience from God, because of his dome of authority, I experience peace and joy and comfort deliverance from the powers of darkness. I can experience healing. I can experience justice. I can experience good news because I'm within. I've received the kingdom of God. Now outside of the authority, outside of the hoop of God's kingdom, of course we still know and can experience comfort, we can experience peace, but in a limited degree, in a degree that always ends at death. But God's kingdom overlaps death. It's not intimidated by death jesus is in charge of death itself and so the kingdom of god for the christian is one that doesn't end we experience god's healing god's comfort now but we'll experience it more fully in the age to come now we don't just benefit from and experience the kingdom of god ourselves as christians but i'm going to put this here because i just like you have to imagine i'm standing and living in the kingdom of god But in Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me in order to proclaim good news to the poor, in order to bring comfort to those who mourn. So within the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God, as believers, we then have a responsibility to bring that comfort, to bring that kingdom to others. And we do this in a couple of ways. On the one hand, Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And when we do that... We're essentially, um, John, come here, mate. Come and stand there. When we do that, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're essentially playing hoopla. We're saying, God, that was Whoa. quite a good shot. Thanks. We're, um, we're saying, God, your kingdom come. John's in need, and I want your kingdom to influence him. I want some of your sphere of authority and your power to reign in John's life. Stand further away. That was too easy. <laughs> And obviously in some aspects of life, you can say your kingdom come and you don't see any noticeable change in a person's life. And we say, come on, your kingdom come. Oh, well done. Very good. So one way that we bring the kingdom of God is by praying, God, your kingdom come. But in other respects, and the kingdom kingdom sign of comfort is like this. You can't bring comfort to people easily just by chucking stuff at them. Mm. Or always just by praying and asking Mm. God to do it. the church God has called us to be the means of comfort that we are those who in loving and supporting and bringing hope to someone we administer the kingdom of God to them that they can enjoy something of God's authority and power in their life thanks John And that's, at least, that helps me. That's how I think about the kingdom of God. When I pray, I'm saying, God, your reign, come on that person. All of the things that are associated with God being king, let it be for that person. But more often than not, God says to you, I've given you gifts. Now you go and bring my kingdom to someone. Come and show them what it looks like to live under my authority and my reign. And this morning, we're going to read a Bible verse from a book called One, uh, Two Corinthians. It was written by a man named Paul, who wrote a letter to wrote letters to lots of churches, outlining outlining for them Christian doctrine. And um, he says this. Let's let's click through it together. Paul said, "Blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort." our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings you will also share in our comfort for we do not want you to be ignorant brothers and sisters of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we'd received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says to the church, with the comfort that we've received from God as a result of being in God's kingdom and knowing his hope for the future, we now comfort and are able to comfort others. I want to make a couple of comments on this, and then Chris is going to share for us. Let's put the um, Bible verse back up. First of all, Paul says this, he comforts us in our affliction. Note this, we will experience affliction or trouble. Life is not easy. It never will be easy. If it is easy, great, but it won't be forever because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we experience trouble because of the poor choices we've made. Sometimes we experience trouble because of the injustice and unrighteousness of others towards us. But often we experience affliction just because we're living in a broken world. But in that trouble, Paul says, he says it is God, the God of all comfort, who's able to comfort us. And this is surprising. It ought to surprise us because we're talking about God the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who knows the future, the God who's outside of time, the God who's sovereign and powerful. And yet Paul says of this God, he's close, close enough to comfort you. He calls him the God of all comfort. He's strong and yet he's tender. He's holy and yet he's near as well one of the primary ways that he comforts us, Paul says, is this, is that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God, by sending his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world, he died a death in our place for our sin in order to offer us comfort. We're comforted because Christ suffered in our place. The gospel brings us comfort. And then what we see as well is that that comfort that we experience creates honesty in the church this is what Paul says he says for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself now we love to follow men and women who've got their lives together in fact unless someone's got their life together or unless someone's life matches up with their speech we find it hard to follow them Paul's living in a day Well, he's writing a a letter to a church who have been influenced by what he calls super apostles. Men and women who are very powerful and important, or at least they thought they were. They spoke with authority and they said Paul's nothing because he's not very eloquent in speech. He's not particularly strong in presence when he's before people. He's quite timid. He's quite weak. And Paul writes to a church who are struggling with this image of, how are you a real leader? Because, I mean, look at your life. You're, I mean, How many times have you been beaten up for the gospel? How many times have you been in prison? How many times have you been shipwrecked? If God loved you, Paul, if you really were an ambassador of God, Paul, surely your life would look better than this. Paul writes to a church who are thinking those thoughts, and he says to them in chapter 1, in the opening few paragraphs, life's been pretty hard, <laughs> I've almost thrown in the towel several times. In fact, I thought I was going to die on several occasions. Because Paul knows that what he's got to offer them
1: Mm
0: -hmm. isn't his own might and strength. Mm. What he's got to offer them is the comfort with which he's been comforted. The kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. That's what he's got to offer. So he's able to say, we were so utterly burdened beyond life. He also says, You must help us in prayer. Ministers, those who lead, you're leading a group in the church, you lead at the front, you lead in any form of ministry in the church, you're not above the need for people to pray for you. In fact, you need it more often than not, you need it most of all. Again, in the world, we might look at leaders and think they're the ones who've got it all together. It was amusing to me that this week, the BBC made a lot of the fact that Theresa May shed a tear. Heaven forbid, but she shed a tear when the election didn't go as she hoped it would. She showed weakness. It's like, look, she's not a robot. She has emotions. And the BBC just peddled it out. There it is. And I think Tim Farron then, it was later, he was on some radio show and they asked him a question. And he was like, yes, he shed a tear as well. Our leaders shed tears as so though that's a surprise. Because in the world's eyes, leaders are those who've got it all together. And don't suffer, don't struggle, are strong. In the church, a leader is to be the slave of the people. Paul says of himself, I'm the scum of the earth. He needs help more than anyone else. So he says to the church, please pray for me. I think someone once phoned up Graham, who leads the the team over in Eastbourne, and they would found out that uh, there were some people going to our church who um, were from some unsavory type backgrounds. And they phoned him up and said to him, do you know the sort of people who go to your church? And Graham said he, he was very pleased with his response. But quick as a flash, he said to them, do you know the sort of people who lead this church? <laughs> like, we're all broken. We're all in need. That's why we enter the kingdom of God and say, please give me comfort. Please let me know this. I need your strength. I need your help. And it's, it's really with that as a, as a backdrop that I want to introduce Chris. Uh, who's going to be speaking now for the next 10, 15 minutes. Um, And he's going to share with you his own story of restoration, how God brought him comfort through the lives of the church that he was a part of. And I want to commend this man's example to us. Many of us know him as someone who's been leading in church and in ministry for a long time. Many of us have benefited from his service and his servant-heartedness and his gift of wisdom and his compassion. And that's good. But it's also worth us knowing he's just like all of us. Mm. He's just as much in need of God's comfort and help as the rest of us. So I'd love you to give Chris a big hand as he comes to share with us just now. So welcome, Chris.
1: Great. Well, Father, just be with us now, I pray. Open our hearts to what you're saying. And we'll just... uh, be with me as I share your goodness. Amen. So Jez kind of sent me an invitation to speak on how I've seen the kingdom bring comfort to people in my years in ministry and my top tips on how to be a blessing and a source of comfort to those in need. Thanks, Jez. But hey, that rather sets me up as someone who has the answers. And it sets me up kind of pointing to my great experience of God. But you'll see through what I share that it's not actually about me, although wonderfully, I'm only qualified to speak about this because of a great experience of God, a great God, and it's entirely due to his love and grace and mercy. Some of you have Been on this journey with me and have yourselves been part of the comfort I've received. And you'll know the story in some detail. And I thank God for you and for your support, your prayer, your love, your grace, and your sensitivity. I became a Christian when I was quite young. I'd been in church and in Christian leadership. God gave me a wonderful wife, who I still have, and she's still wonderful. And uh, I have two great children. I was a partner in a large international firm of accountants, which had Christian roots, and where many of my partners were Christians and were involved in Christian leadership in London and throughout the country. I was well known in the Brighton business community. However, despite all of this, I had since my teens been involved in pornography, which I managed to hide from everyone. Yes, I asked God for forgiveness, but couldn't get free. The 3rd of February 2003 was a day when the covers came off, and on this day, my sin was exposed in an extremely public way. I was humbled. And realised the enormity of my sin. It was awful. The questions in my mind were: Well, would I lose my wife? Would I lose my family? Would I lose my job? Would I lose everything? At that moment, I felt faint, and someone who was there said they thought I was having a heart attack. The hours and the days ahead were truly awful. And David described exactly how I was feeling in Psalm 51. And if you've got your Bibles, it would be good just to zip to that right now. But it's a psalm written by David, who was king of Israel. In the New Testament, God describes David as a man after my own heart. Which is great, what a wonderful epitaph to have. David was a wonderful king. But the situation came about that David was at home when his troops were out fighting and he looked out of the window and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And instead of looking away, he let those thoughts develop and he thought, I must have that woman. And he took steps to take her despite the fact that she was someone else's wife. So he arranged for her husband to go into battle and be in the front of the battle so that he would be killed, so that he could have Bathsheba. And then he took her, despite the fact that she was someone else's wife. Husband. Someone else's wife, that's right. And that's the situation that we find. And... um, so if you've got to Psalm 51 now, that's the kind of backdrop. And he says this, because someone had come to him and pointed out what had been going on in a wonderfully gracious but direct way. And David said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according to your great compa- the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. And you know, you might be looking in and thinking, hey, wait a minute, what about, what about Bathsheba? What about the husband who got killed? Haven't you sinned against them? And he wasn't saying he hadn't. But actually, the real sin is against God. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done what's evil in thy sight. So thou, you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother did conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me and I should be clean. Wash me and I should be whiter than snow. Is that some of the background of that psalm? So wonderfully for me, although that day is kind of imprinted on my memory in, in all sorts of ways, it was the beginning of finding God's amazing grace. I remember thinking all sorts of things. I thought, actually, I do know God loves me. But I I know I've sinned dreadfully against God, as well as friends and colleagues. I knew I had to decide whether to be open and honest or try and cover up as much as possible. Uh, A good friend, called Dave Mitchell, who some of you will know, when he heard he immediately got on the phone to us, to me, And uh, just wanted to help. And he expressed his love. And he said, would you like me to make contact with Don Smith, who was the pastor of King's Church and started King's Church in Eastbourne, who I'd known for many years, and see if I could meet him and meet up with him. And so it was I found my Smith in Don Smith's living room. It's difficult to describe how I felt ashamed Remorseful as well, repentant, afraid, and tearful. Now, Don has a reputation. <laughs> he, people kind of talk about him. He, well, well, young man, just put yourself together. Actually, do you know what? He's not like that. But that was a kind of, a bit of a, a reputation around But I found myself sitting there with Don. And he was so gracious. You know, there was no sense of his condemning me. I remember saying to him, I'm not sure I'm even a Christian. And he was so wise. He didn't say, never mind, it's all right. He didn't say, don't worry. But I do believe he saw a broken heart, a heart broken by God, that was repentant. Actually, he didn't give me lots of advice. And my mind and spirit were in such a turmoil, I really don't think I could have taken it in, even if he did, because of how I was feeling. He lovingly prayed for me, and he went out of his room, and he came back, and he gave me a book. It's a very, very big book. It's full of truth, and it's based on this psalm we've just been talking about, Psalm 51. It's uh, sermons by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I lived in Psalm 51 for months and months. Do you know, I could pick the psalm up and I could pick this book up and just go to it from time to time. I just felt God was speaking to me through it over and over again. There were times when I just would weep and sob before God. I remember once when was out, I just went and was on my knees. My head was buried in the arm. Oh, you know, I was just crying before God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just, just pulled my heart out, really. Because I was so aware of my sin against a wonderful holy God, I didn't want to eat. I don't know how much weight I lost. I do not recommend this as a way of losing weight. I didn't want to leave the house. I was ashamed. Jill would say, come on, we'll go for a walk in Friston Forest. And she didn't really give me an option. <laughs> She's a great wife. Do you know, my dad had died some 40 plus years before. And I remember I'm just crying. I wanted my dad. I just wanted to talk to him. I just wanted to tell him. I just wanted to feel him giving me a hug. But I did find a father who did hug me and who did love me. It wasn't Don Smith, it was God. So Psalm 51, and I do recommend you read it, because it sums up exactly how I felt, because God's word comforted me. I remember thinking all sorts of things at the same time. I know God loves me, and so on and so forth. And then going to church and meeting people was something I kind of oh, I really didn't want to do. I just didn't want to do. A lot of people knew me, and even if it was in Eastbourne. So um, Don said, hey, because they started their meetings at 10 o'clock, he said, why don't you turn up at 10 past 10 and then leave before the end? Then you won't have to answer any questions. In any way, it's a big church, but then you won't. And don't let anyone bother you. It's just great. So loving, so compassionate. So that's what we did. He cared for me. He cared for us. He and Steph spent time with us. One Sunday, which was a kind of tearful Sunday, it, we were at the church, and he, he gave us the keys to his house and said, hey, go, go to my home, and I'll be back later, and then we'll have a meal together. So we took his keys, went into his house, waited for him to come back and had a meal with him later. So compassionate. And I felt awkward about many things, but Don kept encouraging us and after a few months we started going to a small group. But you know what? We were never pressured. And because Don knew God and his grace he was able to be confident about how God could bring restoration to me. I remember reading the Psalms with Jewel one morning, and it was Psalm 51, and at verse 10 it says, Create in me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways, And sinners will turn back to you. Now you imagine you're in that situation. I don't have to imagine, I was in that situation. And I'm thinking, well, I can believe all the first part, but really, teaching transgresses your ways. And they'll turn back to you. That was, I'm thinking, I don't think so, to be honest. But an amazing thing had happened which should have given me a clue. I determined to meet with and be accountable to some of the Christian partners in the firm that I was part of who were in Christian leadership. And as I told them about my situation, all that I'd done, the response from several was amazing. And their response was actually, do you know, I have that problem and I've never told anyone. These are triathlete accountants and all these, you know, people, nice suits, nice lives. And then nice Christians involved in leadership. And, you know, I had the privilege of praying with them and for them even then. And uh, that was quite mind-blowing. I remember one morning in all this process, I was working in London. I was standing at the station waiting for the train an old chorus from my childhood came to memory, which I shall sing. God, I'll try and sing. God has blotted them out, I'm happy and glad and free. God has blotted them out, I'll turn to Isaiah and see. Chapter 44, 22 and 3. He's blotted them out, so now I can shout, for that means me. See, those scriptures that have been put into my heart as a child came good. And you know what? I sang that and then I went and looked at Isaiah 44, 22 and 3. And it's true. My sins had been blotted out and I came to that understanding that they had. But I had written myself off from ever being used by God again. So it was amazing when I was asked and trusted to lead a small group and even run an alpha course in our home. And I remembered that scripture. I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to you. I'm like, really? This is really happening? You kind of have to go, (laughs) pinch yourself, is this really me? And through that first Alpha in Seaford, someone was converted and he's still flourishing in the church today. God is so good. Pat's not here, but it was Pat. Wonderful. Just, and she's been such an encouragement. The God of all comfort, through Don Smith, brought confirmation of forgiveness and hope. That was good. Then through leading a group, running an Alpha course, were overseen by Clive and Heather Chernick who simply kept encouraging us to press on, to serve, to contribute, to lead. Then we became involved with Dave Dean. He took us up and he had us helping him with Andrew with all sorts of things, Alpha courses, going to Ukraine, all sorts of stuff. In fact, the first time we went to Ukraine, Jez was there as well. You were in Krasny Looch, weren't you? Knowing all he knew about us, or rather knowing the God of grace and mercy, he and they still believed in us that we could serve and bless people and that we weren't written off. The God of all comfort used Clive, used Hannah, used Dave, used Jean at June to encourage us in restoring us and believing that God could use us and be what he made us to be. One last person I'm going to just mention Some of you will remember Peter Archer, who's a very good friend of ours, and um, he actually was the chef at um, Pilgrim Hall. And uh, he got cancer, and he knew he was dying. He and Fiona decided that he wouldn't have further treatment with the aim of simply prolonging life a bit longer, but rather aim to make the time he did have count. And very shortly before he died, I can't remember exactly when, it was probably a fortnight or something like that. He, um, he spent some time, and I don't know when it was with his children, but he had specifically got words from God about them and their future. And he brought them to them to encourage them that when he was dead, but God was still, got plans for me, And he really brought, and I'm not privy to what he said, but I know he brought, Specific comfort to each of his children. Well, that's wonderful. Do you know what? He also took the time to hear from God and ring me from his bed and speak to me and bring encouragement to me. He felt... Is to say what you felt God had in store for me and in the future and encouraging us to embrace, reach out and embrace what God has in store and not be disqualified by my past. His desire to plan to bless, to hear from God for individuals and to bring encouragement for the future is a memory, an example, which will stay with me forever. The God of all comfort used Peter to bring alive and renew faith for the future. So, just to land. The only reason I can share anything with you this morning is because of God's amazing grace to me. Top tips? Okay, just a couple, four actually. The first thing is if you're in a situation with people and, you see, when God's done something in you, sometimes people, they, they don't know that, but somehow they sense that there's a, you know, it'll be all right to talk to that person. So people come. So the first thing is listen with your ears. What they actually say, what's coming out of their mouth. And at the same time, whilst you're listening with these, listen with your inner ears. Because sometimes what people are saying is not really what they're saying. There is a whole other thing going on. So be listening to what God says. See the person, but look to God. I guess it would be interesting to hear Don's account of the meeting in his Living room. Don could see a horrible, sniveling, sinful, repentant mess. But Don, I am sure, was looking at a faithful, wise, gracious, forgiving God who has a track history in restoring, forgiving, and using adulterers and mur- murderers, David, violent Jesus haters, Saul, then became Paul, slave traders, John Newton. God's got form, good form. He's in the business of restoring. So at the same time you're listening and looking, be listening to God. What is he saying? Secondly, sometimes these conversations can be very emotional. And don't be pressured by emotion into saying something nice. There, there. It doesn't do it. It isn't comfort. I remember Terry Virgo, who started New Frontiers and we're part of the church with him in Seaford. There was a lady who to, came to him once, and having heard the gospel and the cro- about the cross, she said, I must be very sinful. And he said, no, that's all right. You're like that. He didn't. He said, yes, you are. Okay? But... God is rich in mercy. So don't just give a comfortable answer. I heard of someone who'd been preaching for maybe the first or second time. It was a young person and they got it a bit wrong, you know. And there was a kind of debrief later and uh, they were openly talking about it and saying, well, actually, that wasn't, you know. And the guy's, okay, right, yeah, and it, it was wrong. And then the guy said to him, but next time, the guy thinks, next time? There's going to be a next time. Oh, I haven't ripped myself off. There's a next time. I can learn. So, make sure that we give hope. And be clear that what you give is biblical. That doesn't mean that you quote a, just a Bible verse. Some Bible verses may seem exactly right. So, one of the favourite ones, and I'm not putting this scripture down, but it can get used kind of a bit like a scattergun. In Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future, so on and so forth. Now, that is a great scripture, but it might not be the right scripture at that moment. It might be actually, you need to get on your knees and call on God. The aim... so. So then make sure it's biblical. Don't take the place of God. He is the source of all comfort. The aim is to build people on God, not on you. So it, it didn't happen, and Don wouldn't have let it happen, but it could have been, I thought, this, this Don is wonderful. Oh, I'm just going to spend all my time with him. Don, what do you think about this? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should we do that? Should we go on holiday next week? Should I catch this bus or that bus? Well, you can. There are situations where people can be built on other people. The, what God is looking for in giving, your, giving the comfort that you have received is that you build them on God. And they have their own roots in God. So, it's like having children, which we did a long time ago. And they feed and they make a mess and it goes everywhere. You teach children to feed so that in the end they can feed themselves. So we're looking to see people restored, yes, forgiven, yes, and then having their own roots in God. He is the source of all comfort. Be real. Sitting with someone who's dying or say with someone who's had a miscarriage for a man, (laughs) it would be very difficult to say, I know how you feel. (laughs) If you sit with someone who's dying, you can't say, I know how you feel, because actually you're not dead and you're not dying. Or you may probably aren't dying. So just to say that isn't really terribly helpful. But you could say... someone who's dying and I have sat with people who've been dying and I've sat people with when they did die. But you could say, I've sat with people and seen the comfort brought to them and maybe share something from that. That's real. That's not cuckoo land. Or in our case, if you said, actually, you know, I've just had a miscarriage. Well, I don't really know how you feel. I can sympathize with you. Why don't you talk to Jill? Because we lost a baby. Oh, then there's a difference. Be real. Be prepared to take risks. Be vulnerable. Do you know, uh, when Jez asked me to speak in the, in the way I said earlier, I had this, okay. I could say all sorts of things this morning. I just felt God say, no, come on, be vulnerable. Uh, Not easy. Um, Yeah. But be vulnerable, but also be wise. If I'm with someone who's seeking help, and I think that being vulnerable and sharing my feelings with them, or my failings, sorry, my failings with them, might help, I always I do check it out with God and say, is this wise? Because yeah, there are people who will take that information and use it in a not very good way. But that isn't the driving factor. The driving factor is what is God saying? Is what God has given to me, the package I've received, can I share that so it would do good to them? And they'll say, like the guys I was at work with, oh, I have that problem. Okay, let's pray about it. So, I will always ask God, is this okay? Am I wise in what I'm saying? Now, this book is, I say it's a huge book. It's it's huge. And uh, I'm going to put it on the table at the back later. Uh, And if you want to take it, not just out of interest can i say but if you feel god's been speaking to you about things this morning i'd encourage you take it read it if you want to give it back to me that's great if you don't that's also good don't just take it out of oh well that's a martin lloyd jones sermon but i believe that is there for you and it will unpack that psalm further back to jez
0: let's give chris a hand thanks mate Wonderful. I'm so glad Chris shared as he did because it reinforces for us that in the kingdom of God, no one is written off. And in the church, we walk towards messes rather than standing at a distance and passing comment or criticism or judgment. We're living in a time of radical social and moral change as a society where attitudes towards various things are shifting all the time. And often people will say, oh, what do you think about X? What's your opinion on Y? And we can be tempted at times to want to provide a theological, critical, robust answer to a perceived problem. Whereas actually the kingdom of comfort looks different than that. It looks like answering, I don't know. I'll go and talk to the person. I'll go and get to know them and I'll get and try to walk a mile in their their shoes or get inside their skin. God is our hope. In the Simon and Garfunkel hymn hymn? song um, called Bridge Over Troubled Water, they wrote this. They said, when you're weary or feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. And that It's a good example of how to behave as a friend, but that's who we point to as our saviour who did literally lay himself down and become a bridge for us, not just over troubled water, but over the chasm of separation between us and God. We point to Jesus as our hope and we as the church look to bring the kingdom of comfort to those that we meet. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Um, And then if if you've got kids I'm going to have to ask you to go and grab them and get them from the kids' work because we're slightly over this morning. But let's just pray and see what the Lord wants to say. Father, thank you that your kingdom is comfort and peace and righteousness and joy. And I ask that you'd come and bring your comfort to people God in need. You'd come and bring the kingdom of comfort to those who need to know it this morning, to those who are feeling weak To those who are feeling like they're barely holding on, I pray you bring comfort. We thank you that in Jesus you provided the ultimate means of comfort and restoration by sending your son to be a bridge between us and the Father and so bring us home to God. Amen.